This podcast, we go deep with college football insider, Brett McMurphy. We talk a little bit about what we think the committee did right and wrong. We actually are able to salvage vet the process. And if you listen, you can actually hear my son in the background, my son, Charlie. So with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast, where Jeff Ma, a professional podcaster, once a professional blackjack player, once tech exec, once entrepreneur, and Rufus Peabody. I don't know. What's your moniker? Once what? Once, once and still gambler? Once you were a man. Many, you know, many gambler? Fewer. Living gambler. in New York City, living the life getting up at 10 a.m. kind of guy. That's that's who Rufus is now. Sometimes. Um, how's your week been, Rufus? You know, busy. It's, it is, uh, it's, early weeks are always busier for me, Jeff. There's, but, but believe it or not, I'm stumbling on my words. There's still golf this early week, Early weeks? Early, early, the early part of the week is always busier for me than the later part of the week. Where are they playing golf this week? They're playing golf in South Africa. Wow. They're also playing in Japan and I believe in Japan and Asia. There, there's all these worldwide tours. And these days I have to cover a lot more of them. I haven't watched golf in like a month and a half, I think. I've been really focused on football. I guess once football's done, I go right to golf because I don't really do that much basketball anymore. I haven't uh, watched um, I haven't watched golf either, but we're betting college basketball now, Jeff. I've been like Taylor yeah, and I have been working been hard on this model. He's we have he has this amazing simulation framework, and I'm trying to um, integrate help in any way I can on the on the stats projections. How's the, how's the college basketball it. stuff been going? Um, this is our first week really getting into it, and we had a bunch of plays yesterday, and I don't know how they did. I was that's not sent the, an that's update. That's a sign that Rufus is a truly an enlightened human being because he. If I had a first day of college basketball picks, a full slate, I would know to the minute how I was doing. This is how we're well, different. We went two and one on Monday. There was a very, very small slate on Monday. And yesterday, he, like I was sent a bunch of plays we had that were overs, but not the unders. Oh, I, oh, I got a report. I got a report. Okay. We returned, it looks like about 20% yesterday. So that's a pretty good day. Yeah, and, I would take and, that day. I would take that day all day. See what I did there? Yeah. Um, and and this is like 25 plays. Like college basketball volume is going to be insane overall just because there's so many games. Are you moving lines quite a bit? I'm not at liberty to say. Oh, got it. Um what uh what what anything exciting in this week? How did you feel about college football playoff rankings? We we're gonna have Brett McMurphy on later, so that that'll be pretty cool. We'll talk a lot about it, but you know, what was your what were your feelings? My initial reaction was I didn't think TCU deserved to get in after losing, but then you look at you know, it's hard to make the argument, even though I tweeted out that Alabama should be a 14 and a half point favorite over TCU on a neutral field, it's still hard to say that they 
are necessarily deserving. I, I think this year you should just have two teams, Georgia against Michigan. Like there's literally, it's the one year where everybody can agree that those are the two that should play. Yeah, but that's a rare thing, right? So that it is, it, it, it's actually a very interesting perspective because this is the whole, like I um, one time got to it with my brother-in-law about the number of teams in the college football playoffs. And one of the things that I've always really like thought a lot about with the college football playoffs is how I want to know that if I'm a division one football player, that I, when I wake up on day one of my season, that there's a chance that if I have a perfect season or the best season ever, that I can win the national championship. And that's and simply not trophy. true. That's simply not true. That's not, it's, it's not true. Right. Like if you are playing for UTSA or any of those teams, there's almost no chance that you're going to be able to win the national championship in its current format. Right. And you're right now. And, and, and had TC and it was true for TCU going into the big 12 championship. If, in the, if the current format was just the top two teams play for the national title, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They because yeah, well, that would yeah, have, they could have done that, everything, right? They could have been yeah. completely undefeated, and they wouldn't. They so wouldn't have the, the idea of expanding to four, and and my point always has been like, you know what? Like it's not. It's it's you, you need basically a playoff that allows you know any if you win your conference, you're in basically, that's what I think. I think if they go to expanded, like all the FBS teams, all the, sorry, all the group of five teams conferences should get an automatic bid. I don't think that's what they're going to do, but I think that they, they, that should, but as long as you expand it, there's more of an opportunity for that. Um, But like the, the argument that we got into is, Oh, it's always clear who the top four teams are. None of the teams outside the top four this year was interesting to your point. It's like, the two teams that really now it's interesting because we're not saying that we don't think that Ohio state or Alabama could win a four team playoff. I think both of us think they absolutely could. Right. Right. But, I mean, I think um, we both think Ohio state is the second best team in the country. Yeah. If you come, if you combine the sort of uh, who is the best team with who had the best season, then that's where you really get Michigan and Georgia bubbling to the top. But if you just do who is the best team, then there's a clear top four also, right? Which is which is Alabama, Iowa State, Michigan, and Georgia, which we almost got, which would have been yeah. friggin' fascinating. You, I mean, you could make an argument for Tennessee too. Tennessee is a very closely fit, but not the, not, it, not but anymore, right? Not without without Hooker, right. with the, without yeah. Hooker, yeah, definitely not. And I don't actually, I guess, like what I mean with Hooker, what would your power ratings have said, right? Because the line you you had Alabama, you had Georgia. Like you have Georgia's never won by a lot. I know. Okay. So, so basically the, 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 you would have Tennessee bunched a little bit with like Michigan and, and uh, with Michigan basically. So, so you have Georgia at 34.3, uh, Ohio state at 29.8, Alabama 29.2, Michigan at 26 and a half. And right, then Tennessee insane. at 25. Yeah. And then, a, and then, then a drop down to Utah at 20.7 in the sixth spot. Wow, Utah is in Utah the number six. Spot. That's crazy. Followed That's by Texas, awesome. Penn State, Clemson, and Florida State. By the way, Clemson, yeah. if they had just started, if they had benched DJ Uyagalale like at the beginning of the season, would they be in the playoff? Well, if they had if they had beaten South Carolina, I think they'd be in the playoffs. Yeah. If they were a one loss, one ACC loss ACC team ACC. after all after all the carnage that happened, 
where their one loss was to Notre Dame and they won that uh, UNC game going away, I, I think they make it. I mean, they're a much better, they're a better team than TCU by five points on a neutral five and a half. And yeah, I mean, I don't see how, and, and they'd be a conference champ. I don't see how they get left out in that case. Yeah, it would be, it would have been interesting. And you had them in the Calcutta, uh, right? Yeah. It's yeah, okay. They, they ended up, they ended up, no, they ended up five through eight. So they, they did fine for me. They ended up five through eight. They won their conference. Um, They're, they're fine. I mean, they weren't going to win a playoff game. I don't think so. Especially if they were the number four seed. So it was a difference of two and a half percent. Um, Okay. So what was your most tilted moment of the week? Ooh, somehow I didn't, I haven't even thought about that yet. All right. I'll go first. I'll let you go give first. You a little bit of time to think about it. Mine was getting invited to the uh, Warriors uh, Pacers game by my friend Steve Chang, uh, who is uh, was one of the creators of Madden, uh, the the video game, and, and ran EA Sports. He invited me to the game, and um, you know I'm going to the game, so I'm kind of like, well, I want to I want to have something on the game, right? So I look at the line. The line's twelve, and um, I I. I don't want to ever root against the Warriors because when the war, especially if I'm going to the game, but 12 is such a high spread. And then I look and I'm like, oh, Therese Halliburton's out, which is one of the reasons I was excited to go to the game because I want to see him play. You probably don't even know what team he plays for. Uh, I, and he, then, does he play for the Kings? He used to. He plays for the Pacers. Oh. Now. Well, I knew and, he used to play um, for the Kings. See, and then someone sitting. Then someone sitting next to me was like, oh, one of our guys is out. So I was like, oh, who's out for the for this for the Warriors? And I probably should have checked because it was Wiggins. Anyways, I bet a little bit on 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 uh on the um Warriors. And I was like, I'll just do a, a fun, a fun parlay. So I did Warriors and over, right? It's so like that's a fun thing to root for when you go to a game, the home team and the over. Anyways, the Warriors ended up playing such a crap game. Steph scored like seven points. They lost outright. And uh, the game, the game ended up going under. So um, it was a tilted moment because, like, the only reason I cared or would bet on that game was I was there, and it was just it ended up being a a costly a costly game to go to. But it was fun, and thank you, Steve, for inviting me. I don't I don't I don't know if you listen to this or if you're listening to this, but thank you. What was your tilted moment? So my my most tilted moment actually was Monday Night Football. I was watching. I, I had a big second half position on the Saints. And, you know, I didn't have a ton of faith in Andy Dalton. Well, so my, my position, actually, the big position was, um, was not on the second half line. It was on the game line, like the game money line. I was able to get a minus 170 and a minus 180 when I thought my numbers had it as like minus 260. I also had a little bit of, um, Saints plus three and a half second half as well. And, you know, they're up 13 with five minutes to go and have the ball on the Tampa Bay 40 or whatever it was. And, they end up losing the game. So that would, that was definitely the most tilted moment. Cause I was at that point, I was like, okay, rooting for some props and stuff like that. Um, and so I was like, okay, you had already chalked that up as a victory. I, I can get this fourth quarter under 12 um, that I bet before the game started. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't in my head. Yes. And so I think in a way, I thought you weren't betting NFL, NFL, by the way, when did you start betting? Uh, oh, NFL? I'm not, I, so like- I'm not betting NFL sides. I'm not, I'm not, but I'm still betting plenty of NFL stuff. I'm betting second halves. I'm betting some derivative markets, et cetera. It's sides it. are not the way to get rich playing the NFL. Got it. Makes sense. Uh, I actually had the second half over in that game. So I ended up pushing 
luckily the 20 with that last touchdown um aren't you lucky i am lucky okay uh let's uh bring in our guest and then we'll talk to you guys on the other side we now welcome in to the bet the process podcast brett mcmurphy who is someone that rufus and i uh, both worked with before. We're all coworkers. So this is just like a, a meeting of a re-meeting of the minds. Um, you know, Brett made sort of a a great impression on both of us, but it, it sounds like we made very little impression on Brett because he doesn't even remember meeting us. Um, it's uh, pretty much par for the course for Rufus and I, where we're the uh, very memorable people, and and he uh, we're never the memorable people, and. Um, I'm being joined by my little son. And you'll keep that in in the show, right, Rufus? Okay. Yeah, so I was just interrupted by my son. So we just like to keep things very organic here. So maybe Izzy will keep it in. But um, anyway, so uh, I remember because I was, you know, this sort of on-air, not talent at ESPN, what first one talking about sports betting. And Brett, you came over to me um, I think this was really early on um, in in both of our times at ESPN, and and you said, "Hey, uh, you know, I, I should I should talk to you. I should learn a little bit about all this like point spread and betting stuff." So, even in in those days, you were way ahead of your time, uh, seeing that this was going to be an important thing for you to know. Uh, Rufus, what's your what's your memory of of Brett? So I don't I don't remember how we actually met, but I do remember in the green room before we were about both about to go on for something each of us going on for something different but um it was bef- it was right before noon on a saturday and he tells me hey the florida atlantic quarterback isn't going to play he's like this story's about to break it was 5 minutes before game time and i said okay how do you know and he said uh, his mom just texted me so i was like damn that that, that truly is insider status so how does one become a football insider, Brett? And give us a little bit of your background before you uh, ended up uh, being on this podcast. Uh, well, first, Rufus, did you go play against Florida Atlantic and did that did that win? Do you remember? No, I didn't. I didn't have a bet on it for or against, okay, actually. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, Jeff. No, I've been, uh, you know, I've been a, a sports writer since I got out of college. I actually started my first job in Odessa, Texas. Uh, won't bore you with all the details, but I, if you guys have read the book, seen the movie, the miniseries, the Texas Broadway Forever, play, Texas Forever, yeah, uh, Friday Night Lights, yeah, yeah. No, I was that's saying Texas just, Forever. That's their that's their claim. That's the what they say all the time. Yeah. Right? Texas so Forever, yeah. So, so Friday Night Lights, the the book, the movie, everything. Um, yeah. It was Not based the TV on that show. T- yeah, the TV show. Well, the TV the show thing. is based on miraculous endings every single game. Well, I know, but the original concept yeah. was about an actual school in a high school in Odessa, Texas. I actually covered those kids when they were sophomores in high school, and then I got a job in Tampa, Florida, and then the Buzz Bisinger came in the next year and wrote wrote the book, and the rest is history. And and then in Tampa, I worked at the Tampa Tribune for several years, started high schools, moved up to colleges, and then it basically been covering colleges. Um, you know, the last 20 plus years, 30 years, and uh, was able to work at various places, uh, CBS Sports, worked with you guys at ESPN. Um, we're part of the, um, I think the latest number is 103 million people that have worked at ESPN 
that are no longer working at ESPN. <laughs> That's quite a layoff. They did 103 million all at once. Yeah, I was, I was part of that too. And then now I'm fortunate enough to be at the Action Network and I'm still still just doing what I did at ESPN and CBS and other places. And that's cover college football and get college football news out there. And, um, I, I, it's, it's really been, uh, you know, I really enjoy it. There's no secret to doing it. It just kind of happened and I ended up doing it and now I'm still doing it. And actually in Las Vegas now covering the college football hall of fame inductions. And there's a bunch of college football meetings this week here. So that's kind of, that's kind of it in a, a long-winded nutshell. So in, in terms of the, just going back to the Odessa, Texas thing, because I find that interesting. So you were covering them before it was a story. So what made you be there for that? So I basically, when I was graduate, you know, five months from graduation at Oklahoma State, and this is how long ago, there was no internet. So I worked in the sports information office at Oklahoma State. And so that meant I kept statistics for the help keep the official statistics for all the football, basketball games. Um, I wrote for the school paper. And basically, I, there was a huge book that had all the newspapers. Uh, I know you guys remember those newspapers. And basically, I sent a resume to literally every sports editor. And there's a theme here. California, Arizona, <laughs> Hawaii, Texas, Florida. I wanted to be somewhere warm. I was I was in I was at Oklahoma State, and uh, I sent one to Odessa, Texas, and they had an opening for a sports writer to cover high schools. I went there, worked there two years. I loved it. The people there are incredible, and I covered that high school. Uh, to be honest, I knew nothing about the history of that high school, Permian High School, and uh, it it literally, I learned so much covering that high school than I did probably covering a lot of colleges because it's a it's like a pro professional franchise for a small town and the entire town revolves around that school um and it was like you back then you would do like you do matchup boxes in the newspaper where you would have you know offensive line versus defensive line or defense versus offense you'd write a little paragraph we would actually do player by player matchup boxes permian's left tackle versus midland lee's defensive right end and break it down i'd have pe i this is a true i'm glad you guys are on obviously uh i'd have people call me and say can permian can permian cover 15 and a half points this is in that's amazing the late they're in the late 80s they are basically betting on permian there were power ratings i mean it was games were televised um it, it was so incredible i but i learned so much covering a beat covering a, a team just covering that high school because it like the entire town revolved around high school football so what was your answer could they cover 15 and a half points uh i at that point i didn't want to be responsible if the guy won or lost so i kind of told him why i thought they would and wouldn't and let him make the decision <laughs> That's crazy. So what is that? What, what kind of ended up bringing you and why did you decide to start working at the Action Network? Um, basically, so after the after I was laid off at ESPN, I had 18 months left on my contract, a non-compete. So I, I could go work somewhere else, but then ESPN was off the hook for paying me for the next 18 months. So I'm like, hey, look, I want to get paid. So I, I didn't work, but I still got paid for 18 months. Uh, fortunately for me during that time, 
uh, even with the non-compete clause, they could not keep me from reporting on Twitter or Facebook because those were my own personal social media pages that, that, but I could not, for instance, I could not go work. I couldn't go work for jeffma.com because that was a, considered a third party. If I did ESPN's off the hook. We don't payment. pay very well. So that would be the well, problem. But. And that's, well, to be very honest, and that's why I didn't go anywhere else. I could make more money not working for ESPN than going to work somewhere somewhere else. And literally, there, there weren't any openings. Believe me, I tried. But during that time, I was able to break the story about Urban Meyer covering up the domestic violence issues of his assistant coach. I, I, I reported that on Facebook, which still blows my mind. Um, during the UCF Memphis American Championship game, I got a a tip that Scott Frost had already accepted his deal to Nebraska. So during that game, I, I would tweet that out. And Steve Levy, who I still owe a case of beer for this, he did not do it intentionally. He didn't realize I had been laid off. And he says on the air, uh, there are reports out there that UCF Scott Frost is headed to Nebraska, first reported by our own Brett McMurphy. So everyone on Twitter loved that he thought I still worked for ESPN. <laughs> When I didn't, um, and then but I worked at Stadium Network uh, the last uh, three years. I had a three-year deal with them; they were great. But they were they were really heavy into the regional sports network, um, into the TV stuff, and kind of just seeing how the future is with cord cutting and everything. Um, I talked to Chad Millman. He we talked, and I thought, you know, look the the sports betting industry is not going to get any smaller. I mean, you guys know that it, the more States that legalize it, it's going to get better. They wanted me, you know, look, we're not hiring you to be a tout. We want you to come in and report on college football news. And so here I am. Got it. That's awesome. So it sounds like you, and it, it, I think it's interesting that you're like covering the hall of fame right now. And it's for, for be good for your job, because obviously that's not, something that anyone's necessarily betting on, but I'm assuming you're allowed to do that because it helps keep your connections and your, 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 your profile as an industry expert. So it is very um, directly valuable for the job that you do. Um, you know, it, so it sounds like you're being able to kind of do the same job without saying like, Hey, you're going to become a tout, which is what they promised you. But like, as you've kind of navigated this world, how have things changed for you as sports betting's become sort of the the result or the focus of your work at some level? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess a big change is that you know, with the Action Network, you know, I can like you mentioned the Hall of Fame. I continue to report college football news, uh, but obviously doing a lot more things, you know, sports betting centric. Uh, every Saturday during the college football season, we do a live show. Um, that's on Twitter and and uh, and YouTube, Big Bets on Campus. I do a, the new BCS podcast with um, Colin Stuck, Colin Wilson and Stuckey, and we talk about you know sports betting angles and stuff. But um, you know that's kind of been been the biggest thing. There's just so much more of a um, emphasis on sports betting, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to. Not that it would be embarrassing, but last night in Vegas, you know, I see a current starting quarterback uh, at the craps table. So <laughs> that, not that that's illegal or anything, but it's gambling is a, a big part in uh, college sports. And, you know, I, 
I think the biggest difference is there's no regulation, uh, not regulation, but there's no requirements of these conferences or schools regarding injury information like the NFL. And so that's why you see these these wild Saturdays um, when all this news comes out on who's in and who's out where, you know, NFL, you guys know this three days before kickoff. So um, basically the biggest change is I'm just kind of trying to, to do whatever I can and to, to help people um, get information out there. If people want to wager on games, then they have hopefully have the best information to, to go forward and, and be successful doing that. So I'd do, imagine you think that's, do you think that's something that should change in terms of the reporting? I mean, do you think that like you, I, the example of this, right, is probably like Cam Rising. Is that like a pretty good example from? Oh, earlier perfect. This year? Yeah, perfect example. Yeah. Um, should, I, I don't I don't really I mean, I think we all three of us may have different opinions. The, the thing is, it I don't think it they ever can agree because that's one of the biggest problems with college football. You don't have a commissioner. You don't have one person that's over the entire sport. So how are you going to get 10 different conferences to agree on how we're going to announce injuries? And oh, by the way, college football coaches, and hey, I I know work with them all, so I love them, but they're the most paranoid, paranoid people on the face of the earth. So I talk, I've talked to you know former former people I worked with at ESPN who had covered the NFL and college game, and they said, Brett, covering NFL is so much different than than the college game. They'll go in, you know day before two days before to do a game and the coach is going blow by blow on every player every injury um you know does he expect to play how successful he's been in practice there's hiding nothing you go into colleges they they won't even tell the they won't even tell the broadcast crew who's hurt even if they promise we won't say anything until the ball's in the air for the opening kickoff um there's a story you know i've told this before but I'm an Oklahoma state grad. So I'm, you know, kind of ripping on my own school uh, several years ago, game day was in Stillwater and Oklahoma state had a quarterback who had a broken leg and wasn't playing Oklahoma state because of Mike Gundy didn't share that with ESPN, not during game day. They didn't share it with the broadcast crew. And so the game's underway and out goes the starting quarterback and it's somebody else. And they're texting the, the, you know, publicity officials, hey, what's what's going on with the your starter? Oh, it's it's senior day. So we're starting the senior. We're letting the senior play. Well, now it's the second quarter and the kid's still not playing. Finally, then they admit, oh, yeah, by the way, he's got a broken leg. He's not playing. So if if they're that paranoid about injuries and Mike Gundy's not alone, there's a lot of guys like that. I just don't see the coaches would, you know, would fight that to the end. And I just don't think without a commissioner over college football, I don't think anybody would have the power to get, you know, or is the, is the PAC 12 going to provide that information when the sec doesn't, I, I, I don't know. We'll see, but I think it's doubtful. It's, it's fascinating to me how much the broadcasters for NFL games actually learn from the pregame meetings. Cause when I hear like Chris Collinsworth talk about, you know, these meetings and how, you know, the offensive game plan, I'm like, I wouldn't, if I was a coach, I would, I would never <laughs> want to, I wouldn't want to talk about that either. So I kind of, I get it from a college coach perspective. It's like, they're all little Bill Belichick's. Yeah. I mean, well, you're right. Yeah. And they do learn so much. And, you know, the thing is, and I've been actually been on those meetings for, you know, doing right. I did, I did radio when I was at ESPN. I did I actually did USC games one year 
um, when Kiffin was a head coach and he was great. He would say, okay, look, this guy is not playing, but you guys, you know, it can't get out until literally the ball's in the air, which is fine. We're doing the, the broadcast. We're, we're not trying to break news before the game. Um, and it helps you out. You're prepared. And that's why the guys that were doing the Utah game who had no indication rising wasn't playing, you know, the pregame graphics and B-roll is of Cam rising. And then there he is not playing. So it's frustrating for those guys. Um, but yeah, the NFL is a totally different world on that. So, so then let's, let's take wait, this wait, to yeah. sort of the current, current day of what oh. we're talking about, because it would be interesting to talk a little bit about sort of the idea of uh, the the bulls and the opt-outs, right? Like how, how are we, how do we know about the information that's happening there? Like, is there, is there like opt-outs, I guess are a little bit different because the players are controlling that message a little bit because they're just not practicing. But do you expect that there will be a lot of surprise opt-outs this bowl season um, where we find this out at the last minute? Yeah, it's funny. I think Rufus was asking me that exact question. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um yeah, Jeff. I mean, that's that's an unknown. You know, how, when is this stuff going to get out? You know, now with social media, NIL, you know, a lot of these players having their own agents and so forth. You know, I don't think there's any like set time where these guys will announce this stuff. I think it'll just kind of come out in drips and drabs. And yeah, um, I think, you know, the more, majority of the time these kids want to announce it. They want to do their little social media tweet and do their nice little graphic with their statement and, you know, say, go, go team or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll see a lot of them. I did, you know, as you guys know, there's no sarcasm font on Twitter. Maybe that's a good or a bad thing, but I tweeted. Uh, I think Elon's know, working on that actually. So that's yeah, good. I hope so. I hope that's cost another $8 list. though. Uh, it's nine 99 with tax, but I yeah. tweeted that, you know, I, I can't wait to see what the first bowl game is that, is canceled because a team says they don't have enough competitive players because of opt-outs and injuries. And I was being kind of sarcastic, but kind of maybe this could happen. And I've talked to so many people here in Vegas and they're like, dude, I, I was thinking the same thing. And real quick, two examples last year and NC state played UCLA, UCLA canceled the game literally three or four hours before kickoff. So they couldn't play. There was a COVID outbreak Texas A&M canceled playing in the Gator Bowl because they said there was a COVID outbreak. They didn't have enough players. I know from talking with multiple sources that they don't believe that COVID was that much of an issue. They believe it was opt-outs and injuries. And again, UCLA and Texas A&M said they couldn't play because of COVID. I'm not disputing that. All I am saying is a lot of people think they could have played those games if they wanted to, if it was a playoff, and they didn't, well, what's the difference this year? You can't blame it on COVID. So are we actually going to have a team that just flat out says, look, guys, we've got 15 guys in the portal. We've got 10 10 to 15 guys out with injury. We simply don't have enough players. And the problem is there's no penalty. If, if, um, you know, West Texas State pulls out of the bowl game, they're not penalized. They're not, you can't find them. You can't do anything. The bowls are helpless. Um, and so I, I don't want that to happen. I just wonder if that will happen. We'll have, we'll have to see over the next few weeks. Well, I mean, everything on the bowls is probably going to have some restructuring, right? When we go to the this new playoff system, because the bowls have become increasingly more and more irrelevant over the last few years. And 
you know, the only ones that care about the bowls are us, right? The gamblers. I, w- I would say some of these schools that are in these third, fourth tier bowls, their alumni don't even care that much about the bowls. So but look at the you know, attendance. They, <laughs> there's going to have to be game. a major, major rethinking. I mean, I love the bowls. Like we, we all love the bowls. The bowls are the best thing in the world. Like to have that, you know, 40 games of random teams against each other to, to watch cheer and sweat is, is amazing. Although, you, Jeff, what, what do you think is going to happen with bowls as a, as a college insider? Yeah, I'm afraid, you know, right now we have, we have 41 bowl games, 42. If you include the national title game, the, yeah, there's, there's not going to be that many when we go to a 12 team playoff. It's just, and you mentioned it, you've got teams that don't want to be there. You've got teams that, you know, started the season with college football playoff expectations. And now they're, they're playing in somewhere that a destination they'd rather not play in. I actually think the smaller conferences, those bowl games are going to be fine because they'll have contracts with the Mountain West, the MAC, Conference USA, American, et cetera. So they'll, those teams aren't going to, they're not going to lose those teams to the playoff. They'll always have enough bowl eligible teams on that level. I think the bowls that are in trouble are the bowls that do, um, that are affiliated with like we they get this seventh pick from the ACC or they get the eighth pick from the SEC or the or the seventh pick from the Big Ten. There's simp- those teams simply will not be eligible because it's not the seventh team from the Big Ten. It's the seventh team from the Big Ten after all the teams go to the playoff and up into the major bowls. So now you're really getting like the 10th or 11th team. And when we go to 12 team playoff, another factor is you're going to have these schools these power schools playing more head-to-head non-conference games more attractive for tv more attractive for fans so you're going to have teams with more losses well that won't necessarily impact the good teams because you can get an expanded playoff but what it will do is you'll have a lot of teams probably not getting to six and six and not being bowl eligible so in the case of when we go to the 12 team do you think there's a world where there'll be like a NIT tournament then for the the sort of like F, you know, who's the best group of five team that didn't make the, you know, 12 kind of thing like that? That to me seems interesting and would be fun from a gambling perspective. You know, I, I did a story. Uh, it's, God, it's been five years ago or more, maybe eight years where there was a group that was actually there was some momentum growing about creating a group of five playoffs. Because again, when we were at the the BCS was two teams, the 14 playoff until Cincinnati got in, there had never been any group five team not get in, but be close to getting in. And, you know, the challenge was, is TV going to, how much is it going to be worth the TV? Pretty much everyone I talked to privately agreed that they should probably do it. It would be better for them. But then they, Ultimately, the coaches and the ADs publicly couldn't do that because if you admit you're going to play in this group of five playoff, you're basically admitting that you're not good enough to play in the the 14 playoff, which, by the way, you weren't and you couldn't get in. But Cincinnati, you know, broke the barrier. Now, going forward with the the 12-team playoff, having a a bid guaranteed for one of the smaller conferences, I think it's much, much less likely but I think ultimately at some point the power leagues are going to break away from the smaller leagues. And then I think you would see some kind of uh, smaller playoff, like you mentioned. So Brett, taking it back to, uh, to the bowl games now, I mean, 
as someone who approaches things quantitatively, the bowl games are very tough for me because I seem to show edges on just about every game. Um, you know, for example, Alabama minus what are they five over Kansas state? Like we know that the market doesn't think Bryce Young's going to play. The market doesn't think like Alabama's any of their starters are going to play. How would you approach that if you were me or some other sort of quantitative, someone coming from a quantitative perspective and how would you try to integrate the information out there? Like, what would you be looking for? Well, I would, I would be very, very careful because you're right. Um, you know, at what, what would you, um, I'll ask you. So if this was say two weeks ago, neutral field, what's the Alabama Kansas state line? Uh, double digits, 10. Well, I mean, I have it. Let's see. I'll pull it it's up. It's gotta be close to 15, 10. right? I make it 13, 13 and a half. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So now it's, I think it's, it's four or five and, um, yeah, so th- this time must be it's impossible for what you do because you can't factor in who's not playing. But yeah, it, a lot of it <clears throat> for me, you know, looking at bowl games, you know, people that that wager on those games or get in bowl pools or whatever. I think this is the time of year where more than any other that motivation is the biggest factor. Now, how do you handicap motivation? And you can look at Alabama's history playing in non-playoff games with the exception of one year when they beat Michigan in the Citrus Bowl, I think by 75 points, <laughs> could have been 75. They they really have underperformed. Uh, they've lost to Utah. They've lost to Oklahoma. Um, you know, Bob Stoops still gets pissed about it. You know, everyone talks about, well, Alabama didn't try and when they played Oklahoma, and Stoops is – Stoops fires back on that. He goes, how come going into the game, we were a touchdown underdog and everybody said how we're going to get run out of the building. Now Alabama loses and they don't care about the game, but you, you bring up a good point, Rufus, you know, Bryce Young's out if Bryce Young doesn't play Will Anderson, you go down the laundry list of, of NFL players they have that opt out. So now you've got a, a non hundred percent Alabama team that has been focused on the college football playoff the entire year and that look sugar bowl is a great game but it's not the playoff what's the motivation there you got a kansas state team with the opportunity to play mighty alabama they're they're going to be pumped up i mean another example is tulane and usc you know you've got a usc team that one went away from going to the playoff and now they're playing in a cotton bowl game that will i believe it kicks off at at um it may be 11 a.m. local time. It's in, in Dallas playing a Tulane team that's thrilled to be in a in a powerful in a uh, New Year's six game that's not going to be short on motivation. And you've seen that in the bowls where the group five team is so jacked up to play a power five team. Um, and so I'm sure your line on USC TCU would not be would not be uh, under two points or pick them or whatever it, whatever it is. So yeah, it's impossible to predict who's in or out, but you can kind of look at these teams and say, okay, what was their mindset going into the year? Is this game a disappointment? And again, it's not guaranteed that they're not going to show up or they will show up, but I think it can kind of help give you guidance. But yeah, I feel sorry. You know, I don't feel sorry for you. I mean, (laughs) you got to, you're doing great, but I feel sorry trying to do these games based on your numbers because your numbers are not accurate because they don't reflect who's actually playing. No, I, I agree. Wait, I, I agree. Wait, one, hold on. one question on this is that I, that I had was um, 
if you go back to this idea of motivation for bulls, right? So much of the, like the game day motivation is actually very overrated. A lot of it is the motivation, the prep leading up to the games. So I wonder if you ever hear like tidbits about, cause that, that's something you could certainly hear as an insider, like, Oh, these guys are into it. Or these guys aren't like these guys are, and you know, these things are narratives often, but like if you as an insider are talking to coaches and the coaches are saying like, Oh no, 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 we're, we're, you know, the guys that are here are, are, are going to make this happen. Um, yeah, the motivation switch on the day of like, everyone's always motivated to win. It just is really in that prep. I think also that, that may be something that you as an insider could actually get a beat on. Yeah. I mean, so much of that stuff, the, the narrative on if they want to be there and they're excited, that's all coach speak. I, I don't really put much into that. And, you know, I agree. It's not like they just show up that one day and like, okay, they're checked out. It's the prep going into it. Um, you know, sometimes you, you'll talk to people and that, you know, whether it's, whether it's coaches, ADs, agents, et cetera, that will kind of just, oh yeah, I heard they're not excited about going to this game or they're, you know, the coach is pissed off because of this, or, you know, even, you know, looking at matchups of certain teams, when you know that certain coaches despise each other and, you know, one's kind of a pretty decent favorite. And you're like, well, I know if it's late, he's going to add on another touchdown. Or if the coaches are really close and good friends, the flip side is, I know this guy's not going to run it up on him. So maybe you tend towards the underdog. But it's it's really hard to kind of get a beat on uh, this team this week in practice is electorable. They're not going to show up. I've talked to so many coaches that say we had the greatest week of practice and played the worst game of our life or we had the worst week of practice and played the greatest game of our life. So I think that's really hard to kind of get a beat on. So to me, Brett, I think the opt outs and the guys not playing are a big thing. But are you have I mean, especially with the transfer portal and everything now, you have a lot of guys that are essentially playing for playing time next year and trying to impress coaches. That's so I would assume that a lot of these guys that maybe have not gotten as much playing time that are playing, are going to see this as an opportunity and would almost prepare extra hard. Yeah, they are, but there's a reason why they weren't playing during the year. They're not. Yeah, but they're sorry. They're four-star recruits instead of five-star recruits or they, I mean, look at Alabama, look at the, like every year, the next man up is, you know, it all ends up declaring for the NFL draft. It feels like so. No, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I agree with that. But I do think, though, you know, just there is that, you know, there is that just, again, we keep referencing Alabama. And I, I think it happens with a lot of teams. Um, you know, you guys, you guys see this in these bowl games, they get out of hand. I mean, there's just blowouts, there's, you know, they're not competitive. Um, it's just, it's not like the guys that are in there aren't trying. It's just kind of, overall it's kind of oh man this is a letdown and um you know i don't know kind of a a different analogy is like say you you were so jacked up to get this certain job and it was the ultimate job you wanted and you didn't didn't get it and instead you got this other job it's like yeah it's all right it's not the job i love though i mean you want to do great at that other job but there is that disappointment there and it just you know how will that impact these teams I mean, we'll we'll have to we'll have to figure that out. But it's just, um, you know, all you can go is by, you know, past history, and you know, except for that blowout of of Michigan State, it was basically it was the 2010 season uh, that, uh, excuse me, it was yeah, Michigan State, not Michigan. Correct myself, 
<clears throat> they won 49 to seven, but they, you know, they've gotten Oklahoma routed them in the sugar bowl. Um, Utah beat them in the, in the sugar bowl. Um, you know, I just, I, I understand what you're saying They They still are four stars and five stars, but you know, they're, the market's telling you, look, this team is not as good because their stars aren't out there. So um, moving into this year and we'll, we'll, we got a couple more questions on this year and then we'll, we'll move into our seven questions that we ask every one of our guests and then we'll get you out of here. Um, do you think the committee got the rankings right of the top four? Yeah, <clears throat> I guess so. You know, it's, the thing is, and I think, I guess, hopefully a lot of people realize this now, and especially you guys, you guys run all the numbers, you do all that, you know, I don't know if you had the same four or not, but it doesn't matter what you, your numbers say, it doesn't matter what I think, it's a beauty pageant. And so these are the, thir- the opinions of 13 people, and you get into most deserving, uh, best team. If we go best team, I think, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong those are not the four teams you would have in. Is that correct? No, not even close. Yeah. Yeah. TCU is nowhere close. Yep. So, but then you get into, okay, is it the best four teams or is it the four most deserving teams? And if it's, I think the biggest issue with just going simply with power ratings, like you guys do, is it doesn't, there's no consequence for losses. There is, but there isn't the guys that are the supposedly the better team, most powerful rated teams, don't get dinged for losses. Um, maybe that's why they're, they're the most powerful team. So if it's a playoff, shouldn't they reward the teams that have the most wins, the fewest losses? With all that being said, I have no problem with it. I I think actually, and I think your power ratings agree, I would have put ranked Alabama ahead of Ohio State. Uh, the, the two plays from being undefeated, and I know you can also say, okay, well, they're, they're three plays from being a five-loss team also. Um, but I would have put Alabama over Ohio state. I have no issues with the four. I'm glad TCU got in. I saw a projected line. Um, I think it was Caesars had it in potential national title games, Georgia minus 17 and a half against TCU. Oh man. Yeah. So we'll see if that happens. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I'm torn. I want guy, I want teams to be rewarded for winning games and um yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens, but I have no issues with um, USC not getting in. I think it, I'm sure you guys have talked about all season that the turnover luck they had was, I think, unprecedented. They have one of the worst defenses in the country. Finally, they found a team that could take advantage of that. Yeah, I was I was big on Utah last week, actually. But what to me, I mean, I feel like Georgia is getting a raw deal having to play Ohio State in the in the playoff rather and and michigan gets the softy and tcu i would have i would have flipped the three how four. much brett how much of that do you think was the committee not wanting a ohio state michigan rematch and using that as a reason to kind of like have tcu remain at third because it doesn't really make sense for tcu to have lost and not have at least moved down at some level right i mean like i, I agree with rufus in that i don't think that that was particularly fair i'm i'm actually a georgia fan so i'm probably a little bit biased there um but it doesn't make sense because arguably ohio state's the second best team in the country per per most power rankings Mm. right so yeah um and i i can see you've got still got some red paint behind your ear from the last time you painted your face for that georgia game um 
No, actually, and I you you I get asked this question a million times, and I'll say this one with one thousand percent certainty: it doesn't fit the narrative. They do not worry about matchups. They did not put Ohio State at number four, so they would not play Michigan again. They felt, whether we agree or not, they felt Ohio State was the fourth best team. And I've gone through the mock process where you do the you do go through the same um, song and dance as the committee on how they do, how they vote for the teams. We, you go back to a, a previous season and you look at all the data and you, you do this. And I've talked to, you know, people that are on the committee, current, past committee members, you, they, they honestly do not sit there and say, wait, we can't put Ohio state at three because that's a Michigan Ohio state rematch. They rank the teams how they think they are the best teams one through 25 and they do not take into consideration avoiding rematches. I know it's a great narrative. Everyone loves conspiracy theories. I do too, but I'm here to tell you that that is not one of them. If they believed Ohio state was number three, they would have put them three. And you said, Jeff, TCU should have dropped. Well, Ohio state got seal clubbed in their last game against Michigan. They so didn't watch- get seal clubbed. I mean, there were two late, though, those two touch, there were two late long rushing touchdowns. That was a close game. Uh, but I bet that they're looking, if you look at the final score, it looks bad. Oh, you're a, you're a seven point favorite or whatever it is. And you lose, you know, you, you weren't, it wasn't a fluke. I'll say that. And, and so because of that, do you, you know, because the team above them lost, do you automatically shuffle them up? And TCU, yeah, power ratings, they're they're under everybody else. Um, and oh, by the way, TCU only lost one game. You know? Right. And and, and, and they're gonna and say they it lose, was in overtime, right? And so. they lose in overtime, and their quarterback, you know, is playing on with one arm and just looks remarkable. But um, but yeah, I guess I didn't have any problem with it, but it's the it's the you know, age-old arguments it's uh man created fire is it most deserving team or best teams rufus you got anything else or should we get into our questions um i think let's get into the questions all right so these are the we have seven listeners of this podcast we let each of them submit a question for our guests and these were the seven they submitted the first one is who is funnier rufus or jeff um I don't buy that you have seven listeners, but I'll go ahead and answer. Um, just because I've interacted more with Rufus, I, I Rufus, Rufus is is funnier. But if I remember right, I think you dressed better, Jeff. Who is smarter, Rufus or Jeff? And this is not dressing smarter. This is just smarter. Smarter. Um, well, so you guys are like a, you know. You're like an Apple iPhone and I'm like a, a rotary dial phone. So I, it's a push. I'd call it pick them. Uh, whoever, you know, ate uh, the right foods that day would probably get the nod. So I, I am sitting squarely on the fence on that one. It's a push. Well, that That's a good segue into the next question, which is what is the least relatable food that you like? The least what? Relatable food that you like. And I'll give you I'll give you the reason we asked this question. Yeah, get- there was one day we were sitting around and talking, Rufus and I, about um, what we eat on game day, and I was talking about eating truffle uh, black truffle potato <laughs> chips, and Rufus was talking about eating smoked canned mussels, 
And someone on Twitter basically said, like, who are these the two least relatable human beings you've ever met in your life? So now we ask our guests or our listeners want to ask our guests, what is the least relatable food that you like? Wow. I don't know if I have an answer. For I mean, I'm like, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, so I'm a steak and potatoes guy. I have not had your your truffles that you have had. Um, I'm not a big, uh, not a big sushi guy. So I'd probably go with that. Are you, uh, do you put a one steak sauce on your steak? No, come on, man. How, wait, how do you know. like your steak cooked? I That's grew up, I grew up loving a one steak sauce. Actually, I, I, I got no problem with that. No, no. So actually I was a Heinz 57 guy, but that was, that was more with the chicken fried steak. So there you go. What wait, is wait, your how favorite? Do you, wait, I want to, I want to ask, I want to follow up. How do you, how's your steak cooked? Medium. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, the, I'm not a rare the- I'm not a rare guy. I see guys get it rare. That's that's a little that's a little too much. But Mark Slaybach, um, who you know I worked with at ESPN, who I love. Um, I think one time I ordered a steak medium plus, and he looked at me and said, "What in the hell is medium plus?" And I said, "Well, it's kind of between medium and and um, medium well, but it's just a little bit more medium." And he's like, "He goes, why don't you just put it in a freaking microwave?" <laughs> And of course he gets it, he gets it rare. <laughs> What's the cut that you usually want as your favorite steak cut? Uh, I love fillets. I, I just love fillets. Me too. I'm not a big, I don't want to, I know the fat gets it, the, the flavor and all that stuff, but I just, I love a, I love a good fillet. Okay. Uh, favorite gambling moment. Oh my God. Uh, oh, Jesus. I'm thinking of all the bad beats. Uh, we got I mean, that one later. So yeah, yeah. But, I mean, uh, hopefully, no, your favorite moment isn't a bad beat. That's no, not not favorite. I guess more most memorable. Um, okay, pro- favorite would be the the uh, '86 World Series when uh, the ball went through Buckner's legs. Cause are you trolling me? Yes. I love this. Brett, oh, I, I absolutely I, love this. So true true Let's story. Go. A friend of mine, a friend of mine, it, she was a, she was a girl, not that that matters, but uh, she had actually bet on the world series and asked me who to take. And I said, well, you know, the Mets are supposed to win, take the Mets. So she was dating um, a bookie. And so he gave her these great odds. I mean, it was, he didn't care. He just was, you know, trying to impress her. So I remember we were watching that game and she thought she had lost her bet. And uh, I was in Odessa, Texas. And I remember the ball went through Buckner's legs and she was screaming and so excited that she would win her bet, which is probably like, I don't know, 20 bucks or something. It was hysterical. So I remember that the most memorable, at least recently, was the um, Utah State Boise game when Utah State doesn't cover when they're down four with basically a minute to go. And and uh, Boise, you know, pick six and, you know, you know, the rest of it. How that oh, happened. I was, I was on, uh, I was on, wait, Boise there. You were on Boise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, tweeted out, I, I tweeted out, like, I, I, I'm never going to complain about another bad beat again, or every time I get a bad beat, I'm going to remember this one. You were on, you were on the wrong side so much. I mean, that. wasn't Boise up 21, nothing at halftime or early? Uh, they were up two touchdowns. I think, I don't know if it got up to 21, but then I think it was 21. Again, that we talked earlier about motivation. That's a big motivation game. What did they have to play for? Um, but yeah, hey, it's still a W. Yeah, I'll take it. 
favorite bet you are making in the next year? Uh, that you guys will get such <laughs> rave reviews on this interview that you won't ask me back again. <laughs> uh, and then last one is person you'd follow blindly. Uh, for picks? For anything. If, if for anything. These are uh, these started as very gambling-centric questions and now become like, you can take them any way you want. Yeah, so I don't blindly follow anyone. I mean, uh, Colin Wilson and Stucky, who do a lot of great stuff at Action Network, I obviously value their opinion very, very much, but I don't, don't ever blindly follow them. Um, basically, for my line of work, I, I tell people this. Uh, you know, I've got so many different sources and on different levels, there are literally five people that if they text me that the world is ending, I will report that immediately and not even try to confirm it because that's how much I trust them. And they obviously know what I do and they know they have to be 100 percent accurate. So fortunately, I did not get that text during this interview. Uh, but if they text me something, I take that at 100 percent. So I will I will blindly follow them um, because of how close we are and our relationships and all that all that good stuff. Now we want to know who they are, but we know you can't tell of us. Of course you do. Of course you do. I had somebody here, I don't want to ID him, but basically came up to me and he was furious because I've broken some stories related to his current employer. And he was like, I know who your source is. I know it's this person. And I said, wait, before you start going down this rabbit hole, whoever you mentioned to me, I'm going to say, no, that's not it. I'm not going to give you a matter of elimination. But it is, it is funny how people will say, oh, well, you know, can you just tell me who you're, so and I'm like, no, because I'm not, I'm not going to tell anyone we're talking right now the same way that I'm not telling anyone who I talked to before. And I think because of that, people confide in you a lot more when they know that, you know, what you tell them is just between um, those two people. And, uh, you know, I tell them, look, you can go tell everybody in the world you're talking to me, but I never will tell anyone. I never will admit it. So that's worked for me in the past, at least. It's why, awesome. it's why I know when we're, when you're hanging out with me watching uh, football at, at ESPN and I'm betting second halves and I tell you what I'm on, I know you're not going to go tell Jeff. Exactly. Exactly. But I will tell everyone I did this uh, podcast, but I appreciate you guys having me. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, well, meeting you guys and you joked about, I don't remember exactly when we met. Uh, I do rem remember when I met my wife, but anyone else other than that, I, I may not remember. So it's not a slide on you guys, but you guys like opened my eyes to like how, how the analytics of everything, because you guys were so far ahead of the game, at least is, is from me who's covered college football forever, not really understanding how it worked and now having a better read on it. Um, yeah. And it just blew me away. Like, wait, you've got all this, all these analytics and numbers that you can actually have a read on what's going to happen. Uh, maybe I was just naive at that point. I don't know, but yeah, it was, it was so cool to see how you guys do those things. And uh, I think one Sunday I blindly followed Jeff on his three sports center hits um, and he went, he went one and two. So I, I jumped off the bandwagon. I mean, the only it, week you, you were better, you way. were better blindly following him than me. Cause I think I went like one and 11 on my sports center hits. <laughs> I was, yeah, it was bad. All right, Brett, thanks for joining us. Um, really respect the work that you're doing in terms of the information. And it's great to kind of see that mainstream reporter come into the world of sports betting and, you know, like 
it, it legitimizes a lot of what we're doing. So I uh, appreciate you spending time with us and um, hopefully we'll get you on again sometime. Hey, yeah, I'd love it guys. Hopefully we have, we have eight listeners for this one. We hopefully we gain a listener. Um, and we, yeah, we, really, we've, really we've already done a bunch of swag around the seven listeners, so we can't add an eighth. Okay. I'll, I'll call all my relatives. So we'll get it into double figures. All right. No. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Thank you. So that was the definitive Brett McMurphy interview. Um, enjoyable, right? I think we both think he's like Brett's a tremendously a nice Southern gent, right? And uh, I mean, he was so nice to me when I was at ESPN. And I feel like he kind of showed me the ropes and, and just was, it, it was a really good friend to have. Nice. Um, we want to talk about Army Navy. We were just talking about it off air and everyone's this one college football game this week. So, you know, are we, we going to bet uh, the over? I mean, every year, I mean, the over is what, like 15 this year? Yeah, it feels like it. It's what? What is it now? Like 30, 31, 31. And it's going to, I feel like the, I see 32 and a half. Like, I feel like it's going to keep moving down probably though, because nobody can remember a time the Army Navy game even got to like 25 points. I think last year it, there was a bunch of points in the first half and then none in the second half. That's my It's such a fun game to bet though. I hope we have, I hope we have a second half in it. I bet we'll end up with the over in the second half, which will be so, which will be fun. My numbers make it, let's see. Um does this have weather in, in yet without weather? This is going to be the most time we've ever spent talking about army or navy. It's awesome. No, we we used to talk about army all the time. Remember they were like the podcast yeah, the arm, official the, team. the army school. Yeah. 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 And I probably sang the fight song on air at some point, but my number, my total number would be 38.8, but there really is this, but I'm not betting it because there's, there's the whole two military academies facing each other effect that is not quantified in my model, but is true. And what is that effect? It's the triple option. It's. Are they, do they both run the triple option? They do. It's the familiarity with it. I think because you, you end up just with this complete, like, you know, grind it out um, three yards at a time type of game with an occasional like 70 yard touchdown run that, that gives you hope if you bet the, the over. Dusk. Yeah. Um, we're going to ask, we're going to do a question for you because it's, it's been quite a, a while since um, we we're going to, I didn't ask for new ones because, Oh, we're, we also have to do critique the pro or vet the process. We didn't, we didn't do, we do. the process this week. Yeah. We're, we were going to do that as a standalone segment. It sounds like that's something that people enjoyed. So maybe we'll put together as a standalone segment. Although the one that people wanted us to do was, was around Darren Ravel, right? Because he had had this whole, and what's funny is we we actually had Brett McMurphy on, who's from the Action Network, and then uh, Darren Ravel um, was talking about sort of teasing uh, totals, where he was talking about teasing a total. Was he from, talking about teasing totals? Because I can't see him because he blocked me back when you know a few years back because I mentioned the guy that got parlay pats thing. Remember that? Yeah. Um, no, he was doing a, uh, well, so we can't do some, we could do Simmons is from last week. Although Simmons is now trying to shy away from these money line Good. teaser parlays. Cause I guess Warren Sharp had a, had a whole, uh, had a whole conversation with him about it. Well, we, I mean, maybe, 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 maybe he used the teaser tool and unabated. Cause that would literally mm. just tell him like, I mean, you know, what's funny, Jeff, like you can find good teasers on that, but you can also just, I did as an example, I was like, let's tease some totals and see what I can get. And I'm like, I created a two team teaser with the negative 33% edge. I you, didn't bet it. Obviously. You really pissed off a lot of Seville by 
they don't like your yeah. your teaser tool. Well, of course they don't like it because they don't like everything, as you told me. But I, I think that what it does, Jeff, what the tool does is it saves time. Like you could you you could find all those things in unabated already for the entire last year. We have the alt line pricing tool. That's what it is. But this does the work for you. This you can you can click and it'll automatically load up what the edge is on that teaser. And so it's a time-saving thing. And the people that say, oh, now the teaser, now the books are going to know about long teasers. Like, do you really think that they I don't, don't think know that's about what, long I don't teasers? Think that's, that's what, what somebody said. Like, it's going to, so what do, what do you think it is? Do you, I mean, because books, it's like telling a casino that, hey, did you but know- are there still places where you can do long teasers for, are there still places that you can do long teasers for minus 110? Um, probably some paper heads, but that's about it. Okay. Like minus 120 um, is kind of the standard now, but you can still find some value at minus 120 um on certain games. And but it's I think it's like card counting in a way. It's the books know the books know about this. And I'll tell you what I have found useful with the teaser tool, Jeff, is that when I find a game where like a book has a line that's like a half point off of like the market consensus. And, and so we use the unabated line. So let's say like, I don't know, um, there's a game where the market consensus is like two and we and, and the one book has plus two and a half or you know something like that. You're essentially getting some value off of, off of the price shopping aspect plus the teaser part. And so find, like finding situations like that um, can be really useful. And the other thing is being able to see whether, you know, going a four legs here, um, is better than three legs in terms of EV as well as Jeff. I know we think about these six point teasers, right? We to do Jeff, to Jeff. Uh, okay. He's still alive. But what if, we what do. if you, like when you're teasing a seven and a half point favorite, what about teasing at five and a half points instead to get to the two and a half, right? If the payout from a particular book is sufficiently different for, for or teasing at five points for, for five points than it is for six, so you this may be the re- this may be teasers. the thing that th- this may be the thing that Seville's annoyed about, right? So it's because it's, there may there may have been like opportunities still at these books where they weren't pricing some of these like small edges better. But it's not that they're pricing it wrong. It's just there's occasionally opportunities where the right, cost, but they're, they're worried that your tool is going to make it much easier for those. You know, anyways. Yeah, I mean that's all. If you educate, if you educate a market, this is educate a market. Rufus, Rufus, Rufus. If you educate a market broadly, you're going to like markets tend towards efficiency and you're going to take all the inefficiencies away. So this is, you're this basically is a, destroying, you're destroying value for sports betters. It for top be down like betters. The, the for top down betters, maybe. I, I don't think so, but I think I'm creating value for them. And I don't think that. No, why top some, down? Some like if is, these guys are. This is top down. These guys this are smart enough to down. understand how to price it, smart enough to understand how to price some of these teasers better than the sports books. That's not top down betting. Teasers are top down. Why are teasers top down? I don't understand. They're derivatives. Top to down me, derivatives betting. Top, top, down. top, top, top down, down betting is no, what no, Spanky top. does, where he doesn't originate. He doesn't right. originate a you bet. Don't he need actually to like ori- looks. Correct. Got it. You're, Correct. Okay. And that is, I understand that is, what you're wait, Jeff, that is what this is because you are using a market number and finding right. sure. value off of a primary market. You're finding a secondary sure. market, which is the teaser. Sure. Now you sure, can sure. use your no, own opinion. Let me finish. You can use your own opinion on that as well. And, and what I'm saying is you can use like the fact that a line in a book is a half a point off here 
and and you have this teaser and that can create a nice edge potentially or an edge and so i mean i think certainly those types of things are i don't know i mean i think there's a lot of derivatives out there um i think those i think derivatives are much more efficient than they used to be and teasers are like you know obviously a good source of i mean they're generally pretty square but as as we both know there are there are occasions where they aren't. And I think those are generally pretty well known. And as I said, I don't think it's a revolutionary tool as much, although some people have said it is, but um, <laughs> but I think it's a time saver. It really is. Most random place you have recorded the pod from, and this is from Roy Hilliard. Um, and I know the answer to this and I think it's, it's oh, funny. Uh, so this is why I'm gonna ask you. For me? I don't know. There's so many places. I want to know what your answer is first, Jeff. No, your answer is, is to me is the obvious one, right? It's when you pulled off the side of the street and you did it once. Oh. Like you were like driving and you pulled off. The, and then there was another time you did it like late night in Maine outside of a library when it was like 30 degrees out. And that was the only place you could get Wi-Fi was outside of the outside of the library in the parking lot. Yeah, there was that. I mean, I was I was thinking like more just exotic places. I mean, like I've recorded it. I probably recorded this podcast in at least 10 different countries. Let's see. Croatia, Czech Republic. Yeah. Canada. Portugal, Morocco, South Africa, Argentina, Mm. Chile, Colombia, Mexico, United States. That's oh, Bulgaria. That's 11. Yeah. I've recorded the podcast in 11 countries at least you're a traveling bragger um England. should we get this darren Ravel thing up so we can do our own version of uh vet the process yeah let's week? do that let's do that uh let me find if it's a te- like can we, uh, am i going to be able to use the teaser calculator or am i going to need to use the outline tools let's pause this for a second while i try to find this okay so, so we're still trying to find this vet the process thing for the Ravel tweet. Oh, maybe here it is. Here it is. Um, the line is at 43 and a half, but I'm always nervous about a 24-21 final score. The seventh most common score in NFL history. So let's buy some points and feel safer. Take the under 45 and a half at minus 145 at BetMGM. So basically he's teasing a total from 43 and a half to 45 and a half and going from, we'll assume minus 110 to minus 145. Okay, let's vet this process. I'm gonna use the unabated um, derivative alternate line tool to go from 43 and a half under minus 110 to 45 and a half. Is that correct, Jeff? From 43 and a half to 45 and a half. So he should. So so the equivalent of forty three and a half under minus one ten is forty five and a half under minus one forty two. So forty four is common. Now the question is, what is he paying? It all depends on that. It's minus one forty five is what his what he said he got. Okay, so he actually isn't costing himself as much as maybe we would think here. He's costing himself three cents of value there. So it's still a negative EV, but it's it's much closer to break even than I kind of thought it would be. So it's yeah. not it's not the world's worst decision. It's still not a good decision. It's a negative EV decision, but it's not awful. It's interesting because the reasoning that he has behind why he wants to do this, and generally the reason, like if you hear Simmons talk about it, 
is they feel like they're getting insurance, right? And so this is ultimately like this weird like thing about insurance, right? You you pay overpay because your your biases are worried about like losing money and you have this like notion that by by getting that number up. Now the problem is they're not going to give you that insurance without making you pay a premium for it. In this case that premium's not particularly large, it's a small amount. But generally, it's going to be a large amount, and you're basically giving up EV every time you almost every time you do that, you're going to be giving up EV. That's a really good point, Jeff. And what's interesting to me though is that people also love parlays, which are kind of like the opposite, right? You 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 are you're going for these long shot bets, yet at the same time, on these straight bets, they want insurance to make it less of a long shot. How would you reconcile those? Well, I think the long shots one is people just don't know the difference between bad odds and really bad odds right like that was that's the whole like why why long shots and horse racing are you typically a bad bet it's because even though it's like 200 to one the odds should be like 700 to one or something like that and like that so um i, well, I, I mean, think we're all the way i reconcile it is i think we all have different biases and one of the biases is, is we have this like i don't even know what the bias is called but like we do we do identify sort of like these long odds and not think about the fact that like, you know, like, again, like we talk about this concept of value, right? Like the thing that we hammered Jason McIntyre about like value. What does that mean? Just because something's 15 to one doesn't mean it's value if it should be 30 to one. Exactly. What's funny is I think buying these insurance on the, like someone will buy insurance on a leg like this and then parlay it. It's the notion. I mean, I'm sure you've noticed this, Jeff. Though the notion oh, I'm that sure. yeah, people I think, think that people does think this quite a bit. Oh, people think oh, this bet's minus three hundred. This other bet's minus two hundred. Blah blah blah. Like you parlay all these together, they're all supposed to win, and and yeah. I'm getting this big plus price. It's the sort yeah. of notion that like a favorite is going to win. Yeah, yeah. It's all this stuff is just math, guys. It's not like you're you're creating some magic by trying to get like parlay a bunch of things together that are that are like short odds, meaning a bunch of minus eight hundred things together. You you pay for it in the odds. You, um, what's funny though, Jeff, is I, I'm susceptible to these same biases. Like I still in my head, the way my the way my like monkey brain works or whatever your type one brain. Um, and so you have to combat it by actually knowing the numbers. Yeah, I mean, my biggest losses this year probably are the, like in on those like silly bets that I made, like Alabama money line and things like that. So, um, like, okay. I just mean it feels like if you have if you have two favorites parlayed that you know what you multiply together and it's even money bet, it feels more likely that the two things that are, I mean, what what's what what percentages do we need to multiply? Like what if okay, let's say you have two seventy percent things versus which is two seventy percent things occurring feels more likely than a 50% thing occurring, even though it's not true. Yeah. Just in my head, you know, because what's 70% minus two something, 200 something, 250-ish? No, 230, I don't know. Okay. Trying to do um, mental math, great content. Okay. So our picks this week, because this has gone long, I'm going to take the Miami Dolphins minus the three over the Chargers. Miami minus three. I'm going to take a favorite too, and I'm going to I'm going to have my first NFL pick of the year here just because it's you know there's only the army navy game that's the only other option for this week and i'm going to take the buffalo bills minus nine and a half against the jets all right like it yeah thanks for joining us this week. I hope next week we're going to hopefully have hopefully have bud elliott on and we're going to do a uh one minute on each bowl game with bud elliott podcast so 
Um, I hope everyone's excited for that. Um, but um, we'll talk to you guys all again next week. And it, we always look for nominations for the Vet the Process segment. Thanks, guys. All the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a of leaded.